My name is Jason Doldine, and I'm the host of Reaching Roots, a podcast with a goal to make life easier for parents and families so they can reach further. We're talking to people who inspire us with their journey, tell us about the problems they are solving, and provide us insight that helps us and our children learn and grow. Michelle Eichard is a member of the Today Show parenting team at NBC News Learn. The author of Middle School Makeover, her work has been featured in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Time, and People. Her leadership curriculum for middle schoolers, Athena's Part and the Hero's Pursuit, have been implemented at schools across the U.S., and her summer camp curriculum is offered at more than 20 camps each summer. She lives with her family in Charlotte, North Carolina. Are you a parent of a tween or a teen? If so, there is a good chance that your child is either headed for middle school, in middle school, or entering high school. These are transformative years where your kids seek privacy and more independence. They will make mistakes, some will navigate them seamlessly, and others will struggle. Tweens are faced with several challenges. They are figuring out how to express who they are, manage their increased academic responsibilities, navigate peer group pressures, and entering into the online world of social media. Add to this romantic interests, changing bodies, and determining how to deal with disappointments that feel like really big problems at this age. It is an important time in your child's life, and you as a parent are on deck to help them navigate these years and continue to talk to them. Most times, parents are at a loss of words and unsure how to talk to their children about these issues. Also, your kids are not good listeners. They have a short attention span, increased attitude, and are selective in what they hear. Michelle says, trying to convince a middle schooler to listen to you can seem like a Herculean task, but keeping kids safe and prepared is all about having the right conversations at the right time. And from a brain growth and emotional readiness perspective, there's no better time for this. In her book, 14 Talks by Age 14, Michelle Eichardt addresses big thorny topics, including friendship, sexuality, impulsivity, and technology, as well as unexpected conversations about creativity, hygiene, money, privilege, and contributing to the family. To best approach these essential talks, she provides a simple family-tested formula that she calls the brief model. She outlines what keeps your kids engaged, what annoys them, the best time to talk to them, and how to leave your kids wanting more. In this episode, Michelle Eichardt gives you some of the tools on how to have these chats and steer clear of landmines that shut down the conversation. Great. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So, Michelle, uh, you've spent so much of your last few years focused on middle school and uh, looking at all the books that you've actually written. Tell me a little bit about your background and what got you so interested in uh, in doing all what you're doing uh, around middle school. Sure. So I have been working with middle schoolers and their families for 16 years now. Um, My kids are 18 and 20, so they have really grown up with a backdrop of middle school to their entire lives. Um, And I was drawn to this because, first of all, I hated middle school. I think many people can share that feeling. Um, It was a time for me that was just super awkward, um, painful, you know, isolating, all of those things that many kids that age experience. And I was, I have a background in teaching. I was doing some tutoring at 16-ish years ago. 
and working with kids mostly on academic issues, but they would tell me about the social emotional things that they were going through at the time. Um, you know, not wanting to go into the cafeteria for lunch because it, it was too scary to figure out where to sit or having a best friend who suddenly dropped them and then they were feeling really lost. Uh, and it just threw me right back to middle school. So I really diverted my attention from being an academic coach at the time to thinking I want to help people with this giant beast of how to get through middle school, how to help kids and then how to help parents help their kids do that. Oh, wow. You know, as you're talking about that, I do, uh, I, I do have uh, two tweens. So um, just thinking about when you say giant beast, it, it really is in their head such a big, such a big issue, right? In terms of all these different uh, challenges that they navigate. That's right. Well, yeah, tell us a little bit about some of the some of the challenges that you've actually seen. I know you touched upon a couple of things over there. Um, you know, I talked about a few of them in the in the um, in the intro. Um, but would love to kind of just get your perspective on what are some of the issues that you're actually seeing out there. I the way I describe the middle school years is I call it the middle school construction project. And what I mean by that is that starting at age 11, each kid begins to build the three things they need to become an adult. So when I'm when I'm out in non-COVID times giving talks at schools, I will often say, what do you think are the three things a kid needs to become an adult? And parents will say things like, oh, they need responsibility. They need um, organization, you know, all this stuff. Uh, and those are nice things for people to have, but we know many adults who are none of those things, right? So the middle school construction project is um, three things your child is actively building. They're building an adult body, an adult brain and an adult identity. And to answer right. your question, the, the big issues come out of those primarily, I think, the identity piece. Because having an adult identity means having an identity that is apart from your parents, apart from your family. Right. So this is why we see lots of miscommunication between parents and kids at middle school. Kids are, are neurologically and biologically driven to separate at that age. And, and it doesn't happen right away. It takes, you know, 10, 12, 13 years to become an adult after middle school, but um, it causes all kinds of issues in the home. And, and the things that I see kids dealing with are changing friendships, uh, figuring out how to navigate that, wanting more independence and parents not knowing how to keep them safe, um, all kinds of stuff that stems from that. Right, right. So, you know, you talked about sort of, I guess, body, brain, and uh, identity, right? Is those, mm -hmm. Are those the things? That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously, um, some of the identity things uh, in terms of just trying to figure out, I guess they have a hard time just figuring out who they are, right? Let alone um, trying to express what that is. Can you dive a little bit deeper into that in terms of, you know, what are some of the ways that we can actually sort of help our kids figure out um, or how to navigate that? Sure. So really up until middle school, um, if you think about it, parents make most of the decisions around what feels like or what represents a kid's identity, who they are. Um, so you kind of choose their friends. You're like, well, I set up a play date for you and it's happening next Tuesday and it's with Chris, right? That's right yeah. Or um, you choose their activities and interests, um, kind of based on your schedule, a little based on their interests, sort of based on your social group. What are the other parents signing their kids up for? So, and then you buy their clothes and you put them in their room and they can choose from right. what you've selected. But the, the sort of outward expression of identity, the idea of these are the people I like and associate with and feel good around, these are my interests. We pick all those for our kids. By right. the time they get to middle school, they're like, 
I would like to be doing this. I want to choose who I hang out with and what I wear and how I spend my time. Um, yeah. And to answer your question, how do we support that? Uh, I think it's in it's in realizing that that's important, that they need to do that. And then in kind of taking a step back, uh, I write about the shift from being a micromanager to an assistant manager. And we really need to give kids far more opportunity to learn how to express themselves and to make choices for themselves at this age. So yeah. it's about kind of giving up a little bit of control there. Okay, now, you know, a lot of our kids are, when they're actually trying to figure this out, right? I mean, there's no, there's no magic formula. And certainly what I see is that they're beginning to model other people, right? They're beginning to sort of model, in today's world, TikTokers or their peer group or whoever else they may actually see. Are there ways for us to sort of like um, put guardrails up and keep them on like the right track somehow? It's a great question because um, having too tight of control is going to cause your child to rebel. And, and yeah. I don't just say that anecdotally. I mean, scientifically, your child's brain is driven to take risk at this age. And if we don't give them enough opportunities to do that to a certain degree, their brain will say, wait, this is the age when I'm supposed to be breaking out and trying things. I better go underground so I can right. do that. And we don't want them doing that. So we want to keep them safe, as you mentioned, putting up That's some right. guardrails. So, um, you know, I'll have parents say things like, my kid wants to dye her hair and I'm really upset about it. I'm like, let the kid dye their hair. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> stuff like that, it grows out, who cares? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, non-permanent expressions I think should be encouraged. Now, let's say your child wants to post something to social media that you think is sexually provocative and you're like, now hang on, speaking of the TikTok, you know, yep. maybe it's something like that. Um, there are times when no is the right answer and you can say no. I think your duty in saying no is to explain why. Um, so we, you know, I cover that in the book. How do you, how do you say no when you need to? Um, but I think that also just sort of having a gentle interest in what is it that your kid is doing here can go a long way and can invite them to think about it more critically. So like, Oh, okay. I, I see that you've posted this photo. Let's talk a little bit about it. Like, what do you like about this picture? Instead of just being like, dear God, take that down right now. I'm horrified. <laughs> so you want to respect that they are trying to think things through, but maybe they just need your help talking it through. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, are there, are there ways for us to sort of like coach them along in terms of, you know, what, what the right behaviors to model are, um, or is that controlling it too tight? Well, uh, certainly the word, you know, you said coaching. I think that's really appropriate. I think what kids respond to best are questions instead of um, just straight out advice. So right. rather than saying, I saw you did this and here's why it's not a good idea. Or before yeah. you even think about doing this, let me tell you why it's a bad idea. Right. You want to just, I mean, it's almost like playing dumb, you know, <laughs> you want to say, what are your thoughts around this? I see a lot of kids are posting, um, pictures of this certain dance or pictures in this style. And I want to know what, it, what do you and your friends think about this? Right. Uh, so that's the way to coach is to act like you, you're just curious instead of, I know what's best. Right. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. That's a, that's a good tip for, uh, for most parents because, you know, we're, we always feel so constrained on time that uh, it's easier to tell than ask. I love that you said that because I, I have in the book and you mentioned it in the intro, this brief model for talking. Yes. Um, and 
it, it's an acronym. Each letter of brief stands for a step in the process. And the final step in the process is feedback. That's the F. Yeah. And that is where most parents want to start because for the, for the very thing you just said, I've got about two seconds to say what I think is the most important piece of advice before my kid rolls their eyes or walks out of the room, right? Right, right, right. But, yeah, but okay. then when you try it that way, they're not listening to that either because you haven't acknowledged what they think or feel or their perspective. Yeah. So this brief model really takes you through some steps to earn their trust so that by the time you get to the point of giving advice, they're really willing to listen. Right. Can you expand on the brief model and tell us about uh, what exactly it is? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so the idea for the brief model really came out of working with parents. I have a parenting group online. We've got over 7,000 members um, and it, it's on Facebook. If anybody wants to go, it's called Less Stressed Middle School Parents, but it's a, a really safe nurturing right. space where parents can talk about what concerns them. And what comes up a lot is I know I should be talking to my kid about fill in the blank pornography that they could find on their laptop or dating or whatever it might be, but I don't know how to start. I'm really afraid that they're just not going to listen or they're going to think I'm lame or I don't know what to say. So that's where this idea came from that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time when you're thinking about talking about a new topic. Um, brief can be used for every single one of these. So the be in brief is begin peacefully. And again, I think the mistake parents make is they jump right in the deep end. Beginning peacefully could sound like gentle curiosity, like, oh, hey, what have you heard? Or did you hear that news story? It's not about your kid. If you make it about your kid specifically, they're going to get defensive or suspicious and turn off. So just a broad generalization. Yep. Uh, um, R is relate to your kids. So show that you're not, you're not trying to win here. You just want to kind of connect. Like, yeah, I can remember when I was your age, it was always weird to talk about stuff like this or whatever. Um, I is interview, and this is where you're going to collect some data. And I use the word data on purpose because it's, it's sort of neutral and robotic sounding. And I don't want this um, interview to come from a place of emotional, emotionality or judgment. It's more like, right. so what do you know? What have you heard? What do you think? Yeah. Um, the E is echo what you hear. So it sounds like what you're saying is this, or it sounds like a lot of grownups don't understand this perspective that you're sharing. Validation. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's a good way to check. Did I hear you correctly? Because a lot of times we think we know, but but you need to clarify. And then F, that's the moment um, the parents are waiting for. That's where you give your advice, your suggestion, your feedback, your hope for what the kid will do. Right. Well, that's such a great model. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's such a simple tool to just work with. Yeah, I think it takes practice. You know, it might might not come easily at first because it's not how we're used to doing things. But uh, but I know from experience and from the parents who I work with that it's really effective in getting kids to open up and feel like they're not being judged. Right, right. So I want to talk a bit about, you know, obviously you talked about, we talked about identity. Um, you've introduced a brief model. You've mentioned a few times around um, sexuality, pornography. Um, you know, I had sort of romantic interests. I mean, these are, I find like the hardest topics to really be talking about because, you know, our little kids that we really did not have to worry about these things all of a sudden are kind of like beginning to hear about this and getting curious about these things. So can you kind of talk a little bit about, you know, how can we as parents sort of just take some of those steps to, um, you know, put our, put our toes into this world? Right. 
It is, um, it is a scary conversation to broach. And I find that many parents think, well, I don't want to put something on my kid's radar that isn't there right. yet. I don't want them yeah. to grow up too fast. Totally. Um, the fact is that by the time your child is 11-ish, when they go to middle school, um, they should be, first of all, fully aware of when you're talking about sex, like how that works from a, a physical operational standpoint. Kids need to know all of that because by the time they get to middle school, um, they're going to hear it. They're going to hear it from other kids. They're going to, you know, they're going to be reading about it in literature. Right. So um, from just a clinical standpoint, don't send your kid to middle school without having an understanding of like a clear understanding of anatomy and how it all works and all that. In really? fact, okay. my my suggestion is much younger than sixth grade, yeah. of course. Um, but, you know, at your comfort level, bef well before middle school. Uh, then that's a, that's a hard conversation to have. It is, a, it is sort of, um, here's the thing, for anyone who's listening, I mean, don't feel bad if you've missed this age, but yeah. uh, eight is a really terrific age to be talking about this from a clinical sort of standpoint, because it's, it's at the point where your kid won't cringe or say gross and like be horrified by you, but they're still open and aware. So um, there's a little bit of a sweet spot to talk about it then, but you could do it. And there are lots of great resources out there to help guide you in, in how to talk about this. And certainly plenty of good books written for kids that you can use to guide you through that. Is there, is there one that comes to mind that? Uh, yeah, so what I love um, for younger kids, there is an online program called Girlology and they have Guyology as well. I think the website the, the, is Girlology and you can connect to Guyology through it. Um, they have online classes that are amazing and they, they call them cringe-free talks. It's run by doctors who are Wonderful. fun and funny. Great. Okay. Yes. Well, that's good. Please go there. If you're feeling like I can't do this on my own. I think that's a very natural feeling. There are people out yeah. there who can guide you through it. Right. Um, so I recommend that. And then what you really want to set yourself up as is someone who doesn't freak out so that when your kid is in middle school, they hear something and they're like, what does that mean? You don't want them to go to Google to try to figure it out. You really want to be able to at least give them enough of an answer that you quell the curiosity that they're not going to go searching for a video to explain what it means. Right. Because as we know, the world is at their fingertips, right? They can find things out when they want to um, in ways that are far too graphic for them. Right. So if you are someone who's like, hey, I'm going to normalize talking about this in our family. Um, there's also a great Instagram account called Sex Positive Families that talks about ways that you can talk about these things in your home to make it a safe space. When kids don't feel like they can talk about it with you, first of all, they can go searching for answers and you won't like what they find. Second of all, it puts them in a place where if something happens to them, they might feel ashamed to tell you if someone's inappropriate with them because you've never talked about this stuff before. That's right. Yeah. You really want to be an open book on this. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, it's by not being open, um, we create safety risks also. That's so well said. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, you know, we've been talking about um, challenges um, and all the things that middle schoolers have to sort of go through. Um, and, you know, I mean, that, that's life, right? We've all been through that. But what about sort of the positive side of this? I mean, you know, what are some of the things that um, that, you know, if we sort of change the lens that are really great experiences that they can be actually having here. I love that you asked that because 
that's a huge part of the work I do is saying, sure, it can be awkward. It can be hard, but it's an amazing time of life. I mean, your child's brain, body, and identity are all going through these massive changes right now. And that means they have so much potential. I mean, your child is learning things at an incredible rate. They are shifting from um, concrete thinking to hypothetical thinking, which means they're becoming really interested in these big concepts like justice and fairness and equity and um, you know empathy. And, and they, that's almost a superpower for them at this age. So if we can embrace these um, qualities, it's, it, I, I often relate it to like your little toddler learning how to walk terrifying, right? They're, they're stumbling, their forehead's headed for the, you know, coffee table. Like it's a really scary <laughs> time. But That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we cheer them on, right? It's exciting. And I think middle school should be the same age. Yeah, they're going to stumble and get hurt, but let's think about all the potential that they have. And, and I think for me, one of the most really specific and exciting things that happens at this age is the way that play shifts so it yep. goes from being um, like, here are my dolls or here are my Legos or whatever to um, this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that kids this age have where they really wanna start businesses. They really wanna make money. They might wanna start a babysitter's club <laughs> um, yeah. or lawn mowing or pet care, those kinds of things. And I think that is like ingenious and creative and also messy. <laughs> and hard, but it's a great opportunity for growth. Oh, that's great. So, you know, you talk about sort of encouragement, right? Um, and, you know, entrepreneurial, uh, being, being an entrepreneur is one part of, being, uh, of encouraging them. What are some of the other things that we should be encouraging them to do at this age? Hmm. Well, related to the safety talk we had earlier, we really want to find ways that kids can um, take more risks it really is the safest way to keep your kids safe in middle school is to let them do things that they find thrilling so that they don't have to go underground, as I said, to do other things in order to sort of feed that need that they have. Um, independence is a huge one. So I love to see parents letting their kids explore their world as they're able. Um, it is, of course, harder right now during a pandemic to go out in the world and explore, but there are some things kids can still be doing um, letting your kid, you know, ride their bike up to the convenience store, put a mask on, buy a candy bar and come home by themselves. That is really cool and independent. Um, or make a map of the neighborhood if they go out exploring that way. Um, they can be doing things like um, making phone calls for you, um, ordering the food when you get takeout. They should be the one on the phone. Um, really learning how to use their voice, how to be expressive, how to take control of situations. That is so important at this age. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, really good point because there, there's so many things that we do still and we continue to do for them, but actually we could sort of start to uh, delegate it to them to let them Absolutely. take control. Absolutely. And like, hey, when this, you know, when we can all travel again, where are we going to go? I want you to research, put together a PowerPoint for us, give us some ideas of what oh, would be fun. Awesome. Yeah. Start giving them a little bit of power and they love it. Yeah, that's great. What great, what great advice. You mentioned um, COVID and I just want to touch upon that um, briefly because I actually read an article that you wrote around, um, I think it was titled the quarantine slide. Mm. Um, so um, can you just talk about what that is? And, um, you know, maybe we can just touch upon that. 
Sure. So I think what uh, many people now know too well is that there is a feeling of, I mean, we've always known about like the academic slide that can happen over summer. Um, and, and now I think there's this social slide that a lot of kids are experiencing and adults for that matter too, who are like, I don't know if I'm going to remember how to connect with people in a, in a natural way when I get back out there again. Um, and I think it's important to normalize this for kids and to talk about it and to say, um, you know, you might be feeling like you're in a real routine now of spending a lot of time in your room, which by the way, is uh, developmentally completely appropriate for kids this age, pandemic or not. They want to cocoon. They want to go in their room and be alone. That's okay. another way of becoming independent right. within the safety net of your own house. So, um, but if you feel as though your child may be um, uncertain how to connect with their peers. You know, um, what we don't want to have happen is that they they believe about themselves that they're not able to do it because they haven't done it recently. But they say, well, I'm the type of kid who doesn't make friends, right? So we don't want any kid to kind of internalize that. So I think it's important to give kids opportunities as you're able to make sure that they're still getting that connection, which is so important, particularly at this age. And that can be, you know, time spent by a fire pit with other kids outside, yeah. uh, socially distanced. That can certainly be done through screens. Um, I run summer camps for kids uh, over Zoom and in real life, but there are Zoom options as well. And it's really neat to see kids from all over the country and all over the world come together and talk. They're, they're middle schoolers. Um, and I know there are other people who do this and there are programs you can find like out school where you can take a class with other kids. Um, right. But really identifying an interest is key. And then, and then you can make connections around that interest. So if your kid likes to draw or if your kid likes acting or sports, whatever it is, right. follow their lead. Got it. So, you know, sort of tying it back to one of the things to keep encouraging our kids, it's even more important now than ever to encourage them to socially connect with people, whether it's online or offline. Absolutely. And I would say not, you know, um, not necessarily in the way that you would or in the way that you want to do. This is a big thing that, that I see yeah. happens a lot. Parents will say, my kid is so shy. My kid never wants to hang out with other kids. I'm constantly offering and they don't yep. say yes. Um, we think that our kids will want to be social in the way that we are but they are fully their own humans. And, and you may be an extrovert who has a very introverted child. Okay, yeah. you know, we all have our own volume and we're gonna turn it up to the level that's comfortable for us. So um, like that really introverted kid who doesn't wanna go out to the fire pit may really love connecting online with other kids who like uh, manga, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah. so just be sure, I loved your advice and just be sure parents that you are doing it in the way that fits your kid's personality. Right, right. That makes so much sense. Um, I want to talk about the topic of attitude. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, a lot of tweens and teens. Um, you know, what I'll hear a lot of parents say is, you know, they've got attitude. And, you know, if you're sort of a parent of a younger tween, you'll get advice from other parents, you know, something like, just wait, your time is coming, it's going to have attitude, right? So can you talk a little bit about Obviously, you know, we, we'd love to understand how do you deal with this attitude that kids have, but, you know, there's a negative connotation to it, and does there need to be that? Uh, it's a good question. You know, um, 
I can't remember where I read it, but they, whether it was a study or not, but there was, um, I think it was a study done about other uh, cultures that not in the US who don't have the saying, the terrible twos. You know, right. we always talk about that with parents of younger kids, wait right. till you get to the terrible twos, boy, you're gonna, mm. And other cultures who don't have that concept don't experience as many tantrums as we do, right? So it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think what you just said is entirely right that um, we predict this bad behavior, this sassiness and the bad attitude and the back talk for middle schoolers and it, we sow our seeds, right? <laughs> so I think um, there is in truth with that need to separate, sometimes kids don't know how to self-regulate and they're impulsive and they'll be snappy and they'll say something mean. Um, or they're try to be funny and it's a real miss, you know, it, it ends up being cruel. So it can happen. I, I, like you, I like the idea of keeping it positive and not saying like, oh, it's going to be terrible. Just brace yourself. But what you right. can do when that happens is cool the temperature down. If you engage with your child at that level, then they, their emotions really start pumping and they come back at a heightened level too. If instead your child says something smart to you or smirky or whatever it is, and you just calm down, take a beat and you say, wow, I'm not sure how to respond to that. I'm gonna take a little bit of time to think about it and we can talk about it later. Your kid will be like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this just got serious and mom's not flipping out and you know now what's going to happen and I I mean nine times out of ten your kid's going to come back and be like I'm sorry so 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 sorry I didn't mean to say that it was a mistake um, if not maybe they're really upset and they storm off you're showing them when you have those big emotions take some time calm down we're not going to deal with it right now and then you can talk about it later and that has worked wonders for me and for the parents I know who use that trick. Yeah, it's like you've changed the expected reaction. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's like when they expect you to yell and you sort of whisper a little bit. That's yeah. so disarming. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So Michelle, um, you know, you've, uh, you've become a, um, a voice um, for sort of parenting and helping parents around middle school and sort of the early teenage years. Uh, you know, outside of a lot of the successes that you've actually had um, around your books and things like that, what are some of the other um, sort of deeper level transformations or impacts that um, this sort of journey is having on your life? I mean, personally, it, I have, I'm living the life that I've always dreamed of. I mean, I feel very lucky to be doing this work and to be helping kids and families. Um, it's, it's just like, crazy rewarding for me. <laughs> I love getting a note from a parent who says, this really changed the dynamic in our house. Um, and I'm at the point now where both of my kids are in college. I've been doing this their whole lives. They're, so I'm an empty nester. And once I'm able to, the idea of like, kind of living the dream of talking to people around the country and writing and that sort of thing, I, I find it just deeply fulfilling, which is Amazing and really a credit. I always want to give credit to my husband, who is my partner through all of this, who has yeah. been so willing at times when, you know, I'm just putting in the grind and, and nothing's coming of it. Because any entrepreneur knows as you're starting a business, there are those years 
um, was just incredibly supportive of it. And my kids who were so supportive of it too. Um, so that's it from a personal level. And then I think it's just really exciting from a kind of business standpoint to think about all the many ways we can reach parents and families now. Um, so I have an online course that's a companion to the book that parents okay. can take. So you can, you can read the book and I hope parents will, um, but you may still read it and be like, okay, I get it. I believe it, but how do I now jump into this conversation? Um, right. And the course is a module comes out every month. It's a 30 minute thing you do with your kid. You sit there, you take quizzes and play games and start conversations. Right. And it's a way of um, just bringing it home and into the reality of your house. Yeah, that'd be great. If, if you get us the link, we'll, uh, we'll share it when we actually publish this episode. Oh, awesome. And, uh, Thank you. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. What about any frustrations or challenges along the way? Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the sort of uh, things that you might have experienced there? Uh, uh, there are a million. <laughs> there is, a, there is um, a saying that I love. There's no way to be a perfect parent. There are a million ways to be a good one. And I think um, the sort of yin and yang to that is that there is no perfect family. There, Even the parenting experts have crazy situations that come up in their homes that they have to deal with. So um, from a parenting standpoint, you know, I never throw my kids under the bus publicly, but I can blanketly say that we have had many issues that we have had to work through as a family um, that run the gamut of what every other family is dealing with out there. So um, I respect their privacy and don't talk about it too much. I talk about some of it in the book where I've gotten permission so for example, my daughter had really bad anxiety as a kid and she's fine with me chatting about that. Um, so that was a real frustration for me, trying to figure out how to help a child who was so balled up tight, you know, um, and kind of figuring that out, working through that and talking with therapists. And, and now she's like a total dynamo studying for law school, great crowd of friends, like happy and confident. Um, but that was a tough time as a parent. Yeah, I mean, so many, so many parents would probably uh, agree with you in that, you know, I mean, certainly with our kids and, and a lot of the other kids that I see, there, there is that anxiety. Um, and where's that coming from? Oh, from me and my daughter's case. <laughs> I mean, and her and her dad too. We were anxious little kids too. Um, right. I think we see it heightened right now for two reasons, anxiety in particular. One is we have a name for it. So we're talking about it. And that's a really good thing. I suffered pretty silently as a child because no one knew kids had anxiety. It wasn't, a, you know, we didn't throw that word around and certainly didn't go see a therapist for it or get coping skills. You just like right. gritted your way through it. And, and there's something to be said for that too. It can make you strong. It's really painful, but it can help teach you that you can do really hard things. So I think we're seeing a rise in it because we know what it is and we're talking about it. I also yeah. think that, um, you know, we may be seeing a rise in it because of how we react when we see it. Um, I read a great article recently that said when anxiety rears its head and we then go like, okay, you don't have to go to that party because you seem really scared to go. Your kid right. learns, oh, okay. When I don't push through, it feels really good. Like I get that relief. That's the yep. payoff here. Um, so I think, you know, in part, we're seeing it keep going because we don't know what to do. So my advice for parents who are struggling with this at home, 
One is a really good book. I think the author's name is Don Huber. It's called What to Do When You Worry Too Much. It's a great workbook to do with kids. And the other is find someone who can teach your kids really good coping skills for this because you do have to learn how to push through. Yeah, yeah, no, all good stuff. So Michelle, uh, is there one feeling that you have as a parent that you would rather not feel? Uh, often it's a different feeling. I would say, um, hmm. yes, so I have two kids. And the thing that kills me is when I feel like one of my kids thinks I feel differently about them than the other, you know? <laughs> That as a mom, like goes right to my heart where I'm like, what have I done wrong? I want these kids to feel so equally loved even though they're very different human beings. Um, yeah. So that's the feeling I try to avoid. I work really hard to try to make sure that each child knows however they show up to me, they have my full love and acceptance. Right, yeah, I think we've all heard that, right? Yeah. You, you, you love the other one more than me. They always say that, so mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So uh, what's your what's your hope for, you know, you, you've been writing so much about um, about middle school and helping middle school parents. What's your hope for them? My hope is that parents of middle schoolers don't blame themselves, feel too much stress, feel too burdened by these years. I want them to um, be really kind to themselves, give themselves a break and um, and sort of enjoy this time with their kids, this really crazy fun few years of middle school, like just just have fun with your kid and, and worry less. Yeah, that's so well said. It almost takes us back to, you know, what should we encourage our kids for? And I think about like, you know, encouraging entrepreneurship, encouraging sports, encouraging participation. I mean, it seems like there's so many good things to be able to actually uh, help our kids along and really uh, have a great time. Right, right. It's all about, to me, it's all about looking back, you know, long time from now and saying like, man, I enjoyed that. That was good. Yeah. Totally. That's excellent. Well said. So Michelle, uh, tell us about where, where can we have people reach you, um, you know, get a hold of your books. Um, maybe you can just give us a little bit on that. Great. Um, well, I have a website and it's my full name. My name is spelled Michelle with two L's and then Icard looks like Icard. It's I-C-A-R-D. Um, so MichelleIcard.com. And I'm also on Instagram, the same thing, Michelle Icard. So you can find me there. Um, you can join my Facebook group, Less Stressed Middle School Parents. And that's probably a lot of options for folks. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll put those links up there. And now that you're actually saying your name and you're saying iCard, I feel horrible because I've probably said iCard all the way through. <laughs> you and everyone else. I am so used to iCard. It's what everyone says. And so um, I don't even hear it, to be honest. <laughs> I really don't. I'm totally used to it. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Hopefully I didn't offend you too much there then. No, not a bit. Keep it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you, uh, you being here. It's been, uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. We would really appreciate if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or send us any feedback to reachingroots at wishslate.com. Also, download the Wishslate app to help organize wish lists for your family and change the way you gift. 
you can download this from www.wishlate.com slash download.